Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, authorities can't tell how a New Orleans woman died. What secrets from her life may answer the question of her death? We'll discuss the podcast, Undetermined. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, and yes, the love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Why do you say it so ironically? Well, I got a couple <laughs> of concerned DMs because I hadn't been saying it the last couple of shows. Fuck people. <laughs> Stop listening so closely. Yes. It's okay for me not to say that. He's just also my husband. When I, when I don't introduce him as my husband, then you can be concerned. <laughs> and my co-host, Kevin Flynn. <laughs> also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the best-selling The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And boy, do I have some best-selling news Go that I'm going to announce here on Crime Writers On. So The Final Curtain was the number one best-selling book of the year at Water Street Bookstore. And Dead on Deadline was the number two best-selling book of the year at Water Street Bookstore. Great job. Great job. Nice. Isn't that fun? Yes. So what do you do with all that, like, Water Street Bookstore money, Laura? Uh, Pay my editor. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Welcome back to the show. We did one without you. How did it feel? I know. How did did it feel? Yeah. I I don't know. I wasn't there. It was like it was like dad was away. Yeah. So you guys just went off. Just yeah, I had crazy. fun without me just scowling at you. We talked you. about sports the whole time. Nice. I took yeah. my shirt off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. I took my shoes hell? off. I'm just kidding. I did what I always do. Yeah, I never wear pants anyway, so. <laughs> right, so it's all good. <laughs> okay, so, Kevin, obviously, this is Monday's fine program of Crime Writers On. You are our executive producer, which means you plan all of the shows beautifully. <laughs> and and you write the you know scripts for us and you like make all the things happen you try to run the trains what is happening I guess I know what your new year's resolution was to give you more compliments yeah, about you your go. your job what is happening on Thursday's show 
Well, Rebecca, and I know that you will do an excellent job with the show because you always do. Thanks, babe. We're going to be talking. We're actually going to do something we haven't done in a while, which is talk about a feature film. A film. And we're going to be talking about Glass Onion, Ooh. a Knives Out mystery. All right. Looking forward to that one. All right, so are we going to be doing any more chit-chat, or should we just get to the review of the day? I think, because you're going to do such a good job with this, love of my life, <laughs> we should just get right to it. It's like we just went to therapy today. We're like unpacking. I, 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 so what I hear you saying, Kevin, is... <laughs> Kevin is feeling validated, Rebecca. That you are yeah. doing a really that, good job of that. that. you would like me to get started with the review. Like a fucking oh God, better help like ad. NPR, like, spoof at this None point. None of that happened. There were six votes today. And I still am the host of this show. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to play that first clip right now and start the review. Leading off. And since that day, this family has had absolutely no closure in this case. They've got no answers in this case. In August of 2019, her friend reported Jessica Easterly Durning missing. When family members got little response from New Orleans police, they conducted their own search and found Jessica's body in a field a short distance from her home. I walked back up the hill, and then I walked back down, and I looked again because I thought maybe that's not what I'm seeing. And um, I fell to the ground and just started screaming and Several forensic factors made it impossible for authorities to definitively say whether Jessica's death was a homicide, accidental, or some other manner. Meanwhile, suspicion has fallen on her husband, Justin, whose story about her last night at home kept changing. The one thing that was weird is he told the friend, I contacted the police and the police said that I can't report her missing for 24 hours, which is bullshit. We would never tell anybody that. Jessica Knoll hosts Undetermined from Tenderfoot TV and Resonate Recordings. The podcast dives into the mystery around the death, including her volatile marriage and secret hustle as a cam girl. The series asks whether Jessica's untimely death was murder, and if so, who was responsible? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Undetermined, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Laura, there is a setup here, and we do hear a lot of police audio from their body cams. And it doesn't, it reminds me a little bit of that documentary we watched. American Murder. Yes. Yeah. Where mm -hmm. we, we're actually getting, and I do think there's some very solid reporting here with some really good material. We hear the police go to Jessica's house and talk to the husband after she is reported missing by her friend. And... I just want to say that is the setup for the show. They sort of put him in the frame. We should just say, obviously, we're talking about opinions here. The show is very restrained, I think, in some ways. However, it does put the husband squarely in the frame for this crime. How do you feel about how this is set up in this podcast? Well, I think this is set up to generate action. We have a case that has had little action by the police. And the setup here with the husband, Justin, Fuck that guy. The tape of him is absolutely rage-inducing. It's like straight out of any number of Dateline episodes where the suspicion immediately falls to the husband. But in this case, 
I don't think it's totally off. Did, has she left like this before? No, no, never. That's what, that's, and it's not common for her to be gone like late at night? No, it's not, especially since my daughter got out of the hospital. He sounds suspicious as fuck on that tape. And this is me, Miss Former Defense Investigator, who's trying to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. But if I hear one more thing about she made fucking pizza rolls that they were eating, <laughs> I'm going to fucking scream. Yeah. Like, yeah, we get it. She made some pizza rolls and then she went missing. And then you're sharing the phone. But actually, other people have it as your phone. And some people have it as her phone. And, oh, you know, you can't report her missing for 24 hours, but you didn't actually call the police. And... Yada, yada, yada. I mean, everything with this guy is like the biggest red flag. And he doesn't even necessarily, to me, sound really authentically, genuinely worried that his wife is missing. So I think the setup going in is, and I fell for it because listen to me, I'm like, I hate this guy. But I think their intent with doing this podcast was to take what's not even like a cold case, which is a dormant case, a stagnant case, and get some action. And if others are as enraged as I am, they're going to see some action. Now, Toby, I have a question for you. You didn't send me a note about this, but it's something that I found myself wondering, and I was wondering if you had the same question. There is a case of a woman who is missing. The police go to her house, and we hear the conversations, and we actually hear a conversation from one of the police officers who is a neighbor of Jessica's, who voices a lot of suspicion about the husband to her superior in the moment. Well, that's what I told Griffin. I've lived here for three years now, and I see him outside all the time, but I never, I have never seen this woman, ever. I've always wondered where his wife is, because I knew that he was married, but I've never seen her. I was surprised that there is at no point, like, Let's bring him in and talk to him about what could have happened to his wife. It seems like nothing happened. Like this woman is missing. The cops go to his house to talk to him. The cops believe he's behaving suspiciously. And then like nothing happens. I mean, it's not supposed to be the way it works. Yeah. Did they, did they mention that nothing happened after that? It's not. They, nothing happened. Right. He was never he wasn't brought in at that point. Definitely seemed like the investigation to find her really didn't go anywhere. It didn't get a spark after that, apparently. They filed a missing persons report, but they didn't bring him in for questioning or anything like that. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I mean, I kind of felt listening to it. It's like, OK, well, he's definitely just talking too much, brought suspicion on himself. It's not super linear. Yeah. You know, because so they have this and then they talk about her before, like they do the, the typical, like sort of victim profile and they talk to friends and, and we'll talk about episode five, I'm sure later. So in some ways, I feel like I lost track of that a little bit. Like I sort of was like, okay, this guy's definitely sort of suspicious. The cops definitely have their eye on him. And then it kind of moved on to some other things and then hasn't come back yet. So I, I guess it didn't really stand out to me so much as why didn't they do this because it goes from that point to a point later where you're sure about what happened in between right i mean i i just don't know what the follow up was i don't i don't feel like i have a great sense of the investigation not that i necessarily need to yeah yeah so what do you think kevin because we do get this 
body cam audio, yeah. and that sort of is what throws us into this case. Well, I think the audio is great. However, I just feel like there's too much of it mm. in the sense that they fail to discern what is important and what is filler. And so that way it's not edited in a way where we're getting just the stuff that we need. Do we need to hear them talk about how long they've been living in town and how many times do we need to hear that cop, the neighbor cop, say, yeah, the guy's suspicious. They're not exercising their discretion in determining what is important to the story and what is stuff that they just really could do without. There's even a bonus episode, which is like the body cam stuff. Great. Throw all that in there. You run the risk of falling in love with your own research. That episode was, I think, like 45 minutes. I could be wrong. It was 30, 45 minutes. It could have been tighter. It could have been more focused and specific about the things that we need to know. I also found it intriguing. I can see why you'd want to listen to more of it. But I feel like they didn't really do their editorial duty by picking what we really need to have and what is just superfluous. I mean, I think that's the thing with this podcast, right, is I think whether you like it or don't like it is probably like, do you see it as being like super thorough or do you see it? as being slow and not being, as you said, sort of judicious in what they're picking. Mm -hmm. So I could see absolutely people really liking the fact that they stay on that stuff. To me, it seemed to slow things down, but I, I feel like that's almost like a personal taste thing that I think will divide a lot of people. I liked it. See, this is, this is where I really differed from you guys. Okay, I felt like I was expecting a sensational story. And I was expecting a listen to this footage. Oh, shit. Blah, blah, blah. I actually appreciated hearing the extended version of it. You know why it's surprising? Because it has the true crime drone soundtrack that I oh, hate. Oh, I want to talk about that. So I don't like podcasts where there is that ooh, audio all the time, which I see you made a note about yeah, too, yeah. Kevin, where they're dramatizing every scene with music. It's completely unnecessary. And by the way, it's a taste thing. I know some people probably like it. I hate it. What stands out to me in contrast is the measured way they're laying things out with the reporting and the storytelling and giving you more of the police interaction with Justin is giving a full portrait. I mean, that's a very fucking important scene in this story. It's much more important than some friend's impression of something that happened that's secondhand. I mean, that's my opinion about that use of that audio. What do you think, Laura? Well, I will say, you know, one thing I, I agree with Toby, if I didn't listen to this while I was in the car driving, I probably would have zoned out because of the pace. Mm. But I was in the car. Somehow that helps me focus more. And I do feel like covering everything was a bit to the detriment of the narrative tension and the sort of momentum of this podcast. But like some of the parts... I actually, the part that I was like, oh God, this is so graphic. And I was so into it was all of the like, autopsy part and all of the like how the body was found oh, and how Jesus, like, the blood Lara. pooled and like the mess and everything and I was like <laughs> this is a lot of information here this is intense and I was like for some people this might be a little too much information but I think the parts with the police where we heard these like longer unedited clips of Justin talking to the police were good I didn't necessarily need to hear and she could put her hair up and wear pearls like over and over and right, over again. Right. I got that the first time. Yeah. I want more about the cam lifestyle. It was interesting to me to hear him 
try to paint himself a certain way to the cops like immediately. And then you could hear him lying and changing his story. And the reason why I liked the extended tape was you heard his story change in real time as he's telling it to the cops. And then you hear him saying like, so I called a prominent lawyer friend of mine. And that is something that a fucking narcissistic like liar does to try to ingratiate himself with people to immediately talk about the prominent people he knows. Like, And to me, like that was actually important for like establishing the personality of who we're talking about. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like that maybe one way to look at it, if you want more, is that you want to sleuth it yourself as a listener. And that if I want it tighter and more specific then I want a stronger story. Well, that's the whole right? thing. I don't feel like we need to sleuth this. I feel like it's pretty, I mean, my opinion is it's pretty clear yeah. what happened But here. But I will say, I did not feel the need to listen to any of those bonus episodes because of the I density of the regular of episodes. Yeah. So, you know, I think that says something too. All right. So Kevin, do you think this was a good case to pick for a podcast? Well, yeah. I mean, because the whole idea, it's a very novel idea. As the title says, it's about a death uh, whose manner is undetermined. So it's a mystery within a mystery. So, I mean, this isn't a situation we've seen before in any podcast, right? I can't think of any mystery that we've had where you got to start from scratch. You don't even know if this is a homicide, which makes it hard to accuse somebody of murder if you can't even say with specificity that there's been a murder. So I think it's a good reason to look at this case. And also because, as Laura said, you know, there's a chance here to kind of uh, move the ball downfield on the investigation. Toby, what do you think? Because in some ways, as Laura said, this podcast is obviously a vehicle for this family to get something to happen. Yet, in many ways, you could say this case isn't particularly extraordinary or mysterious, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think it's stuff we've seen before. It's coercive control, domestic abuse, things like that. And I think sort of exacerbated, as you find out later, by drug use and, and, and financial instability. Kevin's point, I think, is, is good. The only thing I can remember right off the top of my head that was kind of like this was uh, somebody knows something where, again, right, it's like you right, kind yeah. of go in there without having a clue as to what you're going to find or, or what happened. Uh, in this case, a lot of people seem to know a lot of stuff. And it's a matter of sort of piecing it all together in a way that makes sense, which again, you know, this podcast for better or for worse has got a very clear <laughs> standpoint on all of this. Like there's not a whole lot of rebuttal going on or alternatives being presented. And that may be completely appropriate. I mean, it may just be this cut and dry, but if it is just kind of makes you wonder why, why the police are so slow to act. Yeah. Again, I, I assume we'll talk about the, the Ken and Barbie episode, but like that kind of information, like, I don't know if that's the kind of thing police come up with, but it, it, it's certainly something that what's her face. What's her name? Jessica. Well, you know why you don't know her name? You don't know her name because she never introduces herself at the oh. beginning of every episode. That was one yes. of my quibbles with the podcast, Toby. Okay. <laughs> Jessica. There is no introduction of host the being of each episode, Kevin. There is not. And I, I actually wrote myself a note. I'm like, I have no idea who the host of this podcast is. Like episode three. No idea. No idea. Which is <laughs> too bad because she gets, I mean... She's great, a great, great host whose name I do not know. She's got a lot of stuff out of it. I don't, yes. you know, there's some stuff I could have done without. I thought there was, what is the second episode or something? There's like a extended like victim's life thing with sentimental music and, and stuff that, that kind of went on much longer. But 
you know, I, I she, she's gotten quite a bit of stuff. There's no, no doubt. I totally agree. And I wanted to be clear at the beginning of the first episode, there's an introduction and then it never happens again. Um, so, Kevin, I really want to get into some more, more of the production aspects and some more of the case. But first, we have to get through some business, do we not? We do. All right. So what's going on right now in this business section? We have to talk about what's going on on our Patreon. What have we got going on our Patreon right now, Kevin Flynn? Well, Rebecca, on the Crime Writers on After Show, it's not going to be a bunch of after show talk. Oh. No, we're going to have a special guest on. We're going to talk to Maggie Freeling. Oh, Maggie. The new season of Wrongful Convictions are out. And so we're going to talk to her a little bit about what to expect and get to know her a little bit better. Mm. And we should because she's actually a patron. Yeah. Who supports us on Patreon like you should do. Fair listener, if yes. you don't already, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Then you can sign up for things like the Crime Writers on After Show. You also can get the uh, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Yep. For folks who sponsor us at the Crime Writers on Nation level, they can also watch Toby and his guests record that podcast live on Crowdcast and even take part, ask questions, submit questions. Sometimes Toby even brings somebody into the discussion. Toby, tonight... This Monday, you are recording that. Tonight, like as you, if you're listening to the episode the day it came out, you mean. Yeah, I mean, I know time, time is a, <laughs> time is a flat, flat circle in podcast so, land. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the next book and who's coming on to talk. So, uh, the next book is Trailed, One Woman's Quest to Solve the Shenandoah Murders. It's by Catherine Miles. And as the thing says, it's about a uh, murder of a couple of women in the Shenandoah Mountains, right off uh, Skyline Drive. I think this is 1996. The author's trying to uh, solve the case at this late date. I'm going to be talking with Janet Varney Yay. and Allison Horrocks, who Yay. is actually a ranger as well as a fellow Trinity College graduate. So it should be an interesting conversation. That is going to be at 8 o'clock tonight, which is January 6th. I believe Allison is the listener who told me about the Park Service's Bark Rangers program. Bark Ooh. Rangers? Where you can get your dogs like certified and get them little special tags to call them Bark Rangers because uh, they follow <laughs> the rules of the national parks. Because she sees me posting photos of myself uh, in the federal park every morning walking. Should you let Allison know that our dogs don't actually follow those rules? Um, neither do you? In, uh, no, because I may right. have told her that they do. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> they mostly do. They mostly do, yes. They mostly do. And lastly, uh, if you'd like to get more inside stuff, sign up for our free newsletter. Just go to crimewriterson.com, put your email address in. Each week, you'll get things like Crime Writers on Behind the Scenes. Yep. You'll get to see see the Cat of the Week. Yep. The Tweet of the Week. Yep. New Crime Writers on Merch. Yep. And uh, other stuff that we talk about. Sometimes photos of us in our house, occasionally. Sometimes fo photos in the house. Yeah, sometimes you take a photo of me like in the kitchen, making a salad. You did that once uh -huh. in the newsletter a long time I ago. I did. I was stretching. Man, sign me up. <laughs> 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 All right, Kevin, does thus end the business section? Yes, thus ends the business section. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There's nothing like your podcast selection. The topics and banter make for the complete driving experience. Kind of like Goodyear Auto Service. They offer full service car service. Whatever comes your way, they're ready with a lot of know-how and some friendly tips to help keep you moving. Keep the podcast flowing and your car going with Goodyear Auto Service. For all-around car care, visit GoodyearAutoService.com. Okay, so I just want to put something out there that just seems very straightforward, cut and dry to me. And again, I don't know where this podcast is going. I have not Googled this case because I am actually listening to the podcast and I'm interested enough to not do those things. This is a situation where, Laura Bricker, a Uh woman living with a man who clearly there was a volatile and abusive situation going on, told her friend that day via electronic messaging that she was going to be leaving him. We know very clearly that he had access to the same electronic messaging that she did because he had access to her accounts and they shared devices. And then she disappeared. Do we not know that in an abusive situation when the abused partner is leaving is the most dangerous time of all? Oh, absolutely. This happens over and over again. I mean, we've seen it in other cases that we've covered. And in this case, we have Ken and Barbie from the cam thing who didn't want to have anything to do with them again because of their volatile relationship, because of the fight that took place. We have the phone calls to the friend saying, I want to leave the house and fearing for the husband's behavior. This just, again, sets up that we're going into this podcast, I think, with a pretty clear idea of, of what I think happened. Yeah. And I think a lot of this is textbook domestic violence. Yeah. I mean, if you have a couple where there's one car, one phone, one you know Facebook account that a woman can't have without the husband having access to it and seeing all the messages or the opposite, whatever, mm-hmm. that's fucking problematic, like on its face. If you can't send somebody a message without their uh, partner oh, automatically yeah. seeing it, that is a red fucking flag. Like if you're messaging somebody and it might be the spouse, like that is a fucking red fucking flag. Oh yeah, flag. because that's going to trip him off because as soon as he sees this, because what was it? I use the phone and she uses the iPad or I use the iPad and she uses the phone yeah. and makes pizza rolls. It's I'm not like, normal. It's not normal. No, yeah. it's not normal. And it, it's it's suffocating. And it, again, just validates that what other people observed about them was more than troubling. Yeah. So, Kevin, we talked a little bit before the business section about the scoring of the yes. show. And I think this is in part a taste thing and it is in part actually like a, you know, production issue where you are, you know, being told how to feel sometimes, right? Yeah, I mean, this podcast frustrates me because I feel like there's a lot of good stuff in here, but they've just covered it up with the Heinz 57 sauce of tonal <laughs> music. It's just like these melodramatic chords throughout the whole thing. But it is literally 
every second of the episode. There's never silence. There's never any silence. Ever. There's never any even dynamics. You know, the music like you have to have dynamics to it. Something gets louder and drops or it stops. If it's just a straight thing, you know, eight to the bar all the way through, it's not an interesting song, right? There's never any time to just sort of stop the music or even the kind of music. I can recommend somewhere that's reasonable and nice. The Beyond Canal. We stay there a lot. Or we used to. Though, I'm scared. We talked uh, two weeks ago in our top tens about Unibomb. And one of the things that I thought was great about that production value was the tight music. But it was, you know, kind of spatial. You know, it wasn't, you know, full power chords of an organ you know, or a synthesizer. There were just sometimes it was just a little beats or whatever to just achieve an effect. And if the effect is everything is suspenseful, then there's no relief from that. Anyway, I just thought as an artistic decision, I thought it was a really bad choice. I don't mind. And I think it makes it hard to listen yeah. to the rest of the podcast when sonically you're actually competing with that. Yeah. I actually don't mind. Like a podcast can be scored a lot mm-hmm. if the scoring adds. And doesn't detract and isn't just there to be there. Yeah. And there is a style like Toby. We've talked about this before. I mean, I call it the true crime drone. And by the way, it's made uh, you know, in Dunn Disappeared. This is something that like he actually like mocked and Dunn Disappeared where it was just like the whole back. It was just like, yeah. right. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was just like that is like a convention of a certain type of true crime podcast where there has to be something happening all the time. Yet, if you look at. All the shows that everybody agrees are the best podcasts of all time. There are large swaths of the most important material that are like dry because that's like the stuff that really lands. You shouldn't need to have scoring behind it to make it land. Right. Yeah. I mean, not that this isn't made by journalists, but those seem like really journalism heavy podcasts like the, the I think the ones that we're talking about, you know, in the dark and uh, all the usuals. But yeah, so I, di- I didn't really notice it as much, and part of it may be driving, and I think just the sort of ambient noise of your car probably makes the droning a little a little less noticeable. So, like, when I did notice it, again, was during the sort of sentimental parts where I think they have, like, sort of tinkling piano or whatever. So that kind of stood out to me more, and the drone, I think, just got caught up with the the general road noise. Yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned, uh, Toby, that I just want to bring up briefly is that um, Justin clearly is very appealing because when he approaches women, he immediately brings up subjects that are clearly like (laughs) very appealing, right? Well, yeah, guns, which I I, is my go-to usually and not just (laughs) knives, but tactical knives. Tactical knives. Yeah. You want to, you want to come and shoot some guns and like check out my knives is and and maybe ch- try on some of my dead wife's shoes. Yes. <laughs> what shoe size do you have? Because my dead wife had a bunch of them. Yes. Yeah. He's a charmer. A charmer. You remind me of my dead wife. Yeah. Would you like to come over and check out my tactical knives and try on some of her shoes? <laughs> exactly. Nobody knows what happened to her. <laughs> on the other hand, I do have a lot of guns. So come on over. Don't mind the blood on this tactical knife. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we do obviously have to talk about episode five, the Ken and Barbie episode. So we do learn that Justin and Jessica were earning money, or they're trying to earn money by doing cam work, which is a completely legitimate 
kind of sex work or non-sex work. Not every kind of cam performance is sex work. Some of it's musicians. Some of it's, you know. uh, Like her sister said, sometimes it's just feet. Sometimes it's just making a podcast (laughs) on a cam, but some of it is sex work. And we did learn that this couple, Ken and Barbie, who uh, obviously were making their living doing cam work. He had made a bunch of money in crypto and then lost it all because, as he says, he was an irresponsible piece of shit living in Miami, like (laughs) (laughs) who made a, quote, fortune in high school or whatever. And then they go over to Justin and Jessica's house in New Orleans and have a real bad time. We planned to do a cam show. They had like a big bathtub. It was kind of like a hot tub. It was a work thing. And it just wasn't going well. Jessica, she seemed uncomfortable. It just wasn't working. And we just kind of hung out and talked some more until nighttime came. So my question is this. What does Justin and Jessica's cam work really have anything to do with the fact that Justin may have murdered Jessica? I'm curious to know what you guys think. Well, I mean, like I would say if I were a detective, I would be questioning whether or not it could be a motive. Seems like there was a motive that Justin demonstrated jealousy over, you know, when Ken... I mean, there was some intimation that Ken or that Jessica want to get with Ken or whatever. Also, I think there's an important clue here. Ken said that they were smoking meth, that Justin and Jessica were smoking meth. The meth was found in her body when she was discovered. And a lot of people, especially the family, said, oh, well, that shows that, you know, she didn't do meth. And so that indicates that, you know, she maybe it was suicide or so, it was something like that. And then even the doctor said, oh, she doesn't have any of the physical signs of someone who does a lot of meth. To me, it shows like if doing meth in the home was not uncommon, it's like, OK, well, then maybe she was killed at home. Maybe we should and, pay more attention to her broken nose and broken jaw. Right, 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 yes. right. And it also could be and the meth, the meth thing again also could be a precipitating factor in whether or not there was an assault that happened there. Um, But if you just want to say, oh, well, they were freaky deaky. And so they were asking for it. And that's not I I don't think that that's true or the case. But it's it certainly makes for a sensational headline when you say porno star murdered. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the way I looked at it was, first of all, I was super curious about this whole cam thing. I was like, this is like I would, number one, not be taking five cents to show my tatas. But But I mean, whatever. It's five cents times a. 2,000, 3,000, 10,000, 15,000 people. Yeah. It's not five cents anymore. I guess what it led me to think about with these people was, okay, so there's some stuff going on where they might've been exposed to a subset of people where maybe Somebody did get hurt for some, like, I, I just felt like it sort of opened the door to, and, and I'm not like sex shaming or whatever. Like, if you want to go do that, like power to you. But I mean, it was just like between like the math and then they're doing this. I just, I feel like to me, it just opened this window into, okay, there was a lot more going on with this couple that we may not even know that played into what happened to her. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the cam work was like the only like non-dysfunctional thing that they even talk about in that entire episode. It's like they show up (laughs) and like the dad is there and he's like, don't talk to him. And like the kid is there and then they're like doing meth and he gets like violently angry and they have to kind of break it up. And then they're like, "Okay, be cool. And she comes back in and he starts freaking out again. I mean, it's up until then. 
like you get a sense that it's a dysfunctional marriage, but probably not this level of dysfunction, especially if they're having people over, you know, they've got guests like this is like them putting best foot forward, maybe. So it just kind of makes you wonder what, what was life like before? And it's clearly not what either her family and friends want to portray the life as, or they just don't know. But it seemed like the cam, the cam stuff seemed like almost beside the point. Like that was kind of like how they got together. I actually thought that that the story, like Ken and Barbie's story, is wild. Like it's such a like story of the times. Like you make all this money in crypto and then you lose it, and then to keep yourself off the streets, you become a cam couple. Yeah, I mean, that to me, I was like, wow. I would like listen to like a five episode series just on their story because <laughs> it seems like yeah. such a classic story of the times. Okay, so the cam economy. I'm just saying, I'm. It's so interesting to me that like this became a storyline of the podcast. It is so fucking common. I know so many people whose kids or who have relatives who are cam people. Really? Oh yeah. A woman I used to work with. I'm going to beep it out. My former daughter was a cam girl and, uh, and my former had no idea it was sex work. No idea. She was like, it's so amazing. My daughter just goes up into her room and goes on the (laughs) internet and she's getting all this money. And I'm like, yeah, but by the way, it's a way to make money that is really fucking easy. As Ken said, you get to be together. You don't have to leave your house. And basically, you're just like making appointments, doing stuff on request, or you're doing basically shows. This is a thing you used to have to, in the 70s, go to Times Square and go behind a wall into like a greasy room and have people watch you through like a stained window. How and did now, you know that? Because I watched that show on HBO. <laughs> the Deuce. That stupid, yeah. horrible David Simon show. Now you can just do it in your room, right? Yeah. Look, I don't think the camming is a factor in her death, but I think why it's important is that Ken is able to give a perspective on that relationship that no one else could. Yeah. We hear a lot from family and friends about, no, this didn't happen and that didn't happen. And then we hear from somebody else who, if you believe Ken, shows that, yeah, it is. And so that gets you thinking about, well, what else? He's the only person we hear from who's been inside their house because they wouldn't Mm -hmm. let anyone else inside their house. okay. Including her best friend, remember? Her best friend who she stayed with. They right. wouldn't let her into the ah, house. Yeah, yeah, Ken yeah. is the only person we hear in the podcast who's been into their house. That, to me, is why it was important. The best part, though, to me, is that on the podcast, he still went by Ken. <laughs> why wasn't Barbie? Why didn't Barbie show up? I, I know. Was about that. It was amazing to me. I didn't have five cents to get her to... <laughs> <laughs> Come on. If only. Amazing. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. 
Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Mientras crecíamos, vimos a nuestros papás siempre ordenando la casa. Now that we have our own, entendemos la importancia de mantener una casa limpia y ordenada. One that makes you proud. Por eso puedes contar con IKEA. IKEA knows that having a place for everything makes it much easier to maintain a happy home and your peace of mind. When you shop at IKEA, cada dólar rinde más. Visit your nearest IKEA store to find the best storage solutions para tu hogar. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the new podcast, Undetermined? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Undetermined? Um, I'm going to go thumbs up with this. Overall, I thought this was a case that I'm glad was brought out into the public a little bit more. Through this podcast, there was some really interesting parts in this. Extremely detailed, extremely detailed reporting. I think for me, the thing is, I listened while I was in my car. Had I not, I would have tuned a lot out because it could have benefited from some trimming and some different editing. But if you're a person that wants to hear every single detail in the minutia, in like the autopsy information and everything, I thought that was really interesting. And hopefully having this podcast out there will shed some light on this and maybe get some movement because one of the other parts I wish they had delved into more was this sort of systemic issue in the New Orleans Police Department between the police and the coroner's office. And I really I'm hoping as this podcast goes on, we're going to hear a little bit more of that part of the story because there are parts of this that are sort of standard husband kills wife Keith Morrison style case, although I'm just going to say, I would love to hear Keith Morrison narrate about sex cams. Hmm. So I'm going to go thumbs up on this. Tell you, Bob, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Undetermined? Yeah, I think I'm a mild thumbs up. I, I think through four episodes, sometimes things are like thumbs sideways because they're sort of like meh all the way through. And then sometimes things are thumbs sideways because there's some really good parts and there's some parts that you don't think are that great. And this kind of fell more into that. But I think... Starting in episode four and then episode five, I feel like they start getting more to the heart of what's going on. And I also, as, as I said during the, the main review, I think there are people who will really like this. I, I found it a little slow, but I think people who want sort of this completest, like all the details type of podcast, I think will will really be into it. Uh, so I, you know, I'm a, I'm a mild thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. I'm going thumbs sideways. You know, if I stopped at episode two, I'd be a, a, a thumbs down. I think there's a lot of good stuff in here. I like Jessica Knoll. She was the best part of Bardstown. She she was an interviewee talking about that case, and she outshone the post. And I think she does some good news gathering. But I think that what ends up happening in the editing process and then in the production process, it just makes a lot of this unlistenable. It, it turns it into something that is not compelling. But I, I agree with Toby. I think a lot of people are going to like it, especially true crime fans that want to kind of pull something apart. I just wish that there were better choices made artistically, but it's a very interesting case. And I think that the raw materials are there and it's really starting to take off now with episodes four and five. So I can't go thumbs down, thumbs sideways. I'm a thumbs up. Jessica Knoll is a good journalist and there's some good journalism here. I do think they need an a stronger editor in the room to help tighten up a lot of this stuff. The stuff that I liked that was long, great. There is some other stuff that could have been tightened a lot. There also needs to be some consultation about the way this sounds generally. It 
does not need to sound like a UFO is flying through the room the entire time we're listening to the show. Uh, it's just completely unnecessary, and it does actually take away from the gravitas of what is going on in this podcast. I did find myself thinking a lot of this time, like, people might be surprised to hear that I like this podcast, because I was thinking, like, Toby, like, people who are into this are really going to like it. So I can't say that even because it might, might not be for me, it's bad. It's good. And I could also hear like people who are into this would really like it. And it's the thing that kept striking me about it was it's incredibly measured. I do like it that they're not jumping over any lines and they actually go out of their way to say there have not been arrests made. There has not been like they, they really guide the listener. It's very clear what likely happened here. However, you know, this is why we can't say this or do this. And I actually think that's really responsible and really good. Yeah, that being said, the sourcing is great. So this is really good journalism. I think another a really strong editor in the room would have helped. Some restraint with the sound design would have helped. But I got to give it a thumbs up. It's a pretty good podcast. All right, now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. There are so many dangers that can befall characters in video games. They can get blasted by a laser, fried by a dragon, or fragged by their platoon. But players of the new video game, High on Life, face an even worse fate, being trapped forever inside an Applebee's. The zany game features a hero traveling through a science fiction world described as, quote, Blade Runner meets the Muppets. One of the buildings you can explore is a space Applebee's, but once inside, the doors won't open. Gamers say it's a bug, and the only way to escape is to start the whole game over. No word on whether programmers will change the game, so you can leave once you finish the Fiesta Lime Chicken. So, panel, no one wants to be stuck in an Applebee's purgatory. What is the next glitch in this programming going to do? Laura Bricker, what do you think? I think the only thing that I can think that's worse, because it's something I had to go to a lot with my son when he had a mascot phobia, is Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) What do you think, Toby? What is the next glitch in this game going to be? Groundhog Day at the local Arby's. What Ah. do you think, Kevin? It's going to be you're stuck in a supermarket in a really long line, and the cashier, it's her first day, and there are no stickers on any of the items, and everybody in front of you wants to pay with a check that they haven't filled out yet. Wow, someone oh, was traumatized as a kid. Wow, Kevin. Yeah. Oh, I was just thinking was... you were, you were going to be squeezed to death by a blooming onion, was what I was going to oh, say. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's going to do it for us. But if folks want to reach out to you, I want to find out how they're going to do it. Lara Bricker, how can you be reached on social media? Uh, you can find me at Lara Bricker on Twitter. What about you, Toya? Well, how can folks reach you if they want to do so? And I specifically want, somebody sent me a Let's Sacrifice Toby t-shirt. <laughs> what? And yeah, have, I've seen those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a it's like a sort of spoof on old books, I think, or old activity sets. Anyway, somebody sent it to me. It's cool. But there was no identifying information, so I don't know who to thank. So if it was you, uh, you can reach me on Twitter at TobyBallNH. Kevin Flint. I'm a Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram... You can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On and please join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to our regular Facebook page, hit join the group. We'll let you in if you answer a couple questions. 
Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the crime writers on after show. You'll get married with podcasts. You'll get Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker podcast. And you'll get Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredible Olivia Burdett, who is back in the good old U.S. of A. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin Flynn, who, by the way, is the love of my life. If you haven't heard, <laughs> this show <laughs> was God. recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where Kevin makes extra money by showing his little feet on sex cams. Nice. You want to see it, you know it. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. Put that Flintstone toe away. We will catch you later. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Sound effects, Livy can't hear, so she thinks we're stupid for not saying anything. I'm Rebecca. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review by. Good job, Rebecca. Thanks. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.